Amen. Amen. Tonight I want to share a parable of Jesus about the Good Samaritan entitled, Are You a Good Samaritan? And I'm not going to really focus on the, the parable as we have or maybe you have in the past. I'm going to spend a lot of time kind of around the parable and I'll look at that in a minute. But again, the title of my message this evening is, Are You a Good Samaritan? In the Greek, Jesus called the Samaritan agathos, meaning intrinsically good, meaning good deep down inside, good in the soil of his soul. Agathos means to be good in nature and good in character, good even when no one is watching. And how many of you know it's tough to be good sometimes when no one is watching? It, it's, it's hard enough to be good when people are watching, but sometimes it's hard to be good when people aren't watching. But that's what agathos is. It's, it's being good even when no one is watching. Agathos describes what originates with God and is empowered by Him in our lives as well. And how many of you remember that the, the Word of God tells us that all good things come from the Father which is above? The Word of God reminds us that when you see any good in me or I see any good in you, it comes from one place. It comes from our Father which is above. Uh, the reality is anything good in my nature, anything good in my character, anything good in my speech, anything good in my message, in my preaching, or in my teaching, it doesn't come from me, it comes from God. Because agathos is what originates with God, and it's what's empowered by Him in our life as well. Agathos literally means fertile soil. It means a fruitful tree that produces the fruit of the kingdom, a tree that produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It bears the fruit of the Spirit in every season and in every circumstance. So the individual that bears these fruits in every situation and every circumstance, when it's sunny or when it's gray, you would call that person agathos. You would call that person good. When, when all sorts of things are happening in their life, they are still able to bear fruit in every season and in every circumstance like this good Samaritan or the agathos Samaritan. That's what agathos means, church. To be agathos literally means to be fruity or fruitful. And I'm not talking about fruit loopy. I'm not talking about being weird. I'm talking about being filled with the Spirit of God. Talking about being filled with the, the fruit of the kingdom and the, the fruit of righteousness and, and the fruit of godliness, church. That's what agathos means, to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. And the reality is this is what God has called each and every one of us to be in Christ as well. The, the good Samaritan was a, a man full of the fruit of righteousness, full of the fruit of godliness and full of the fruit of holiness, and it's what we've been called to be in Christ as well. And I say in Christ because we can't be good without God. We can't be good without Jesus Christ. Our earthly carnal nature is not good. It's evil. 
And so we cannot be good, we cannot be agathos without Christ, but that's what we've called, been called to be in Christ, church. We, we can't be agathos without him. We can't be fruitful without him. We can't be fertile without him. The soil of our soul cannot bring forth the, the fruit of the kingdom unless we are in Christ, the Bible teaches us. Remember, Jesus said, in me you will bear much fruit. In me, you will produce the fruit of the kingdom. In me, you will demonstrate love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and and self-control. In me, you can produce those things. But without me, Jesus said, you're nothing. Without me, you are not fertile. Without me, you are not not ready to uh, produce the the fruit of the kingdom. But that's what Jesus is teaching in me. When you are part of me, when you are grafted into me, when you're rooted in me, the Bible says, when you are established in me, Jesus said, you will bear good fruit. You will bear holy fruit and righteous fruit and kingdom fruit, church. You will will bear good fruit and fruit that will last. But apart from me, you cannot be agathos. Apart from me, you cannot be fruitful, church or even fertile. So the question that we ask before we even get started is, who wants to be fruitful, amen? I know I do. Who wants to, to be fruitful in the, in the soil of our soul? I know I do, church. Then we must make sure that we are rooted and established in Christ. And one of the things that you'll discover when you go through the, the story of the Good Samaritan Even though Jesus is telling the story, this individual was rooted in the kingdom of God. This individual was rooted in righteousness and rooted in holiness. He was rooted in a relationship with the Father. And we'll find that the other two that are in this story, they weren't, church. But but what we have to understand is that when we read the parable of the Good Samaritan, you have to read it with the understanding that this man was good, not because he did good, but rather he did good because he was Agathos, church, because he was empowered by God to be good. Because he was rooted in God and and grounded in God and grafted into God and had a personal relationship with God. His nature was transformed by God and, and made righteous by God. You see, until yours and my heart is transformed by God and made righteous by God, there's nothing righteous that can come out of us. There's nothing good that can come out of us. But when we are, when, when our soil becomes transformed by God and, and renewed by God, then we can bring forth the fruit of agathos. We can bring forth the, the good fruit that this passage is talking about, church. He was not good because he did good. He was good because he was agathos, because the soil of his soul was made fertile by the Father, church. It's why he did good. And the reality is all of us who call ourselves Christians, all of us who call ourselves born-again believers, all of us who call ourselves saved or, or sons and daughters of the Most High God, we have been empowered by God through Christ to be good and do good as well. You see, the reality is if you call yourself saved, if you've come into a personal relationship with with Jesus Christ, if if we've repented of our sins, received and believed on the name of Jesus Christ, we literally have been empowered to be good. But it's a choice we have to make every single day. 
It's something that we're going to learn along the way. I can choose to walk by the Spirit or I can choose to walk by the flesh each and every day. And when you look at the Good Samaritan, you discover that on this day and probably every other day, he decided to walk by the Spirit. Every day, his, the, the soil of his soul was fertile. Every day, he was bearing much fruit and fruit that would last. And this is what we have to understand as well, church. The reality is all of us have been, that call ourselves Christian have been empowered to bear good fruit and good fruit that will last. So the question is this, are we? Are we, are we good Samaritans? Are we Agathos Christians? Like the title of my message, are you a good Samaritan or are you an Agathos Christian? And before I share the scripture and actually read uh, Luke chapter 10, uh, I I, want to paint a picture of what was going on prior to Jesus telling this story. You see, the reality is every time Jesus tells a parable, he tells it based on the circumstances and situations that are surrounding him. Uh, He he tells stories based on the attitudes and the the atmosphere that surrounds him. And that's kind of what I want us to take a look at and and really where I'm going to spend a lot of time more than even on the the parable itself or the heart of the parable itself. I want to preach and teach around the parable instead. Amen? Amen? But it'll still be good. And the reality is what, what, what I want to look at is what solicited the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 10, verses 31 to 37, so that we can get a better understanding of what this parable is all about ourselves, church. And one of the, the things that I want you to see is even though Jesus is speaking to all of us in this parable, even though he was surrounded by a large crowd of people, the Bible tells us and reveals to us here in Luke 10, 25, Jesus is about to make one specific individual personally accountable to the words that he was about to speak. He was about to make one person personally accountable for the parable that he was about to tell and the, the story that he was about to tell and the truth that he was about to, to tell and bring forth, church. He was, he was going to make one person specifically responsible for what he was about to hear because how many of you know the gospel is personal? The gospel is a personal gospel. We have a personal God and we have a personal gospel as well. We serve a God who is intimately acquainted with all of our ways, the Bible says. Amen? It's what makes him personal. He he knows our going out and our coming in, our rising up and our lying down. And he knows what we do along the way each and every day because he's a personal God, church. He, He who wants a personal relationship with us all. The Bible tells us that he knows us by name. Tells us that he knows the number of hairs that are upon our head or the number of hairs that might have fallen out of our head. Amen? The Word of God tells us that he formed us in complete darkness. He knit us together in in our mother's womb. He, He ordered the numbers of our days before we even took a single breath because he is an intimate and personal God. But the reality is we also have a personal gospel, church, Uh, We have a gospel that speaks to us personally. I can preach this message to whatever is in this room, a hundred or a thousand, and every individual will receive something personally because the word of God is personal, church. 
We, we have a gospel that encourages us personally, a, a gospel that even convicts us personally, a gospel that, we'll, that we will all be held accountable to and accountable for personally. Remember, Jesus himself said that on the day of judgment, this is what Jesus said, on the day of judgment, I will not be your judge. He said, but the word that I left you will be your judge. And each individual, he made it personal, each of you will be held accountable to the words that I have left for you. Because we have a personal gospel. You see, when I preach this message, it's for everyone in this room, but it's for each and every one of you separately. When we hear the word of God, we can't say like we often do, well, that was good for brother so-and-so, and that was good for sister so-and-so. It was good for you, and it was good for me. When the word of God is spoken, it's good for us individually because we have a personal gospel. And even though I might be preaching to a hundred or a thousand, like I said, we all are individually responsible for the word that is spoken over us. And this, this man in Luke chapter 10 that Jesus tells the parable to, he's about to become accountable personally for the words that Jesus is going to speak. He singled him out and he made him personally accountable for the word that he was about to speak. And the same is true for us today, church. We have a personal gospel. Even though it's been written and read by millions of people all over the globe and all throughout the ages, we each become personally accountable to the words that we read every time we open the Word of God. Every time we open the Word of God, we become responsible for what we read. We, became, we become held accountable for what we read. When we read the Word of God that says that you shouldn't be unequally yoked, we become responsible for that Word. When we read the Word that says you should love your neighbor as yourself, we become responsible for that Word. When, when, we, when we read the Word that said, husbands, you should love your wives like Christ loved the church, we become responsible for that Word. When, when the kids read, you should obey your parents as unto the Lord, they become responsible for the Word. When, when it tells us to put off the dirty deeds of the flesh and, and flee from useful lust. We, we become personally responsible and accountable for the word that we just read. I mean, even though we say, okay, you know, it, it's, my, it's, a, it's a practice of mine or it's a goal of mine to read the Bible through in a year. The goal shouldn't really just be to read the word through the year and, and, and just say, okay, I read the word through the year. The goal should be to do what the word says. The goal should be to become accountable for what you took the time to read in the first place, church, because the word undone is meaningless in your life. The word that's done is the word that's blessed, and I'll get to that in a little bit, in, in a little bit. but every time we open up the word of God, we become accountable and responsible for what we read. Every time a pastor stands up here and preaches the word of God like I am tonight, every time you turn on the radio and you hear someone bringing a message from the word of God, we become responsible and accountable for the words that have been spoken, church. I mean, we can choose to obey them or disobey them, but what you and I need to understand is that we give account to the word. It's a personal word, and, and he holds us all personally accountable to the words that we hear and the words that we read. The reality is, listen, God is, God is more interested in doers of the word than he is in hearers, church. He's more interested in the one that walks out of here and does what they heard than the hundred that walked in to hear what I have to say. 
He's more interested in the individual that goes out of here doing what they just heard than the thousand that might come in on a Sunday morning to hear what he has to say. God's not impressed with the hearers. God's impressed with the doers. God blesses the doers. He doesn't bless the hearers. He's waiting for an individual, the people, to come in and not just hear what he has to say, but who are willing to do what he says as well. And when you look at the, the, the story of the Good Samaritan, you find, you find three individuals the one that Jesus is telling the story to, you find a priest and a Levite that weren't doing what they knew to do. But you found the good Samaritan that did the word of God, that that lived the word of God. And because of it, he was blessed. Because of it, he was considered righteous. Because of it, he was considered agathos. No one else of the four individuals, four individuals, not eight, four individuals were considered agathos, only one. And only one was blessed. And we'll get to that in just a minute, church. But the reality is God's more interested in doers of the word than hearers only. The truth is hearing alone makes you haughty. Like the expert of, uh, in the law in Luke chapter 10. Knowledge alone makes you haughty. Knowledge alone makes you proud. Knowledge alone makes you arrogant, church. Just like the expert in the law. Hearing alone and knowing alone makes you think then you're, that you're, you're better than your next door neighbor, better than the one sitting next to you, just like the Pharisees thought. They were experts in the law as well, and, the, and they were haughty, and they were self-righteous, and they were proud. They, they were hearers and learners of the word, but they weren't doers of the word. And so that's the, the fact with this expert in the law. We have to be careful to not just know Because knowing can make us haughty and knowing can make us proud, church, while doing makes us humble and doing makes us productive and doing makes us holy and doing makes us useful to the kingdom of God. It's why he prefers doers over hearers because hearers can become haughty, but doers become holy, church. That's what he's looking for, a holy church of doers. Doing the word makes us like Jesus Christ. Doing the word makes us a reflection of the culture of the kingdom, church, because this, listen, this is the culture of the kingdom. This is the culture of the kingdom of God. This is not the culture of the kingdom of the world. As a matter of fact, every time Jesus speaks in the word of God, it's countercultural to what you see in our world today. Every time Jesus teaches, he teaches contrary to the culture of the world. This is the culture of the kingdom of God, church. This is the language of the kingdom of God. This is the thoughts of the the kingdom of God. This is the attributes and the attitudes of the the kingdom of God. These are the standards uh, of the kingdom of God. These are the disciplines uh, of of the kingdom of God. These are the rules and the ways and the plan of the the kingdom of God, church. This is the culture of the kingdom of God. And we are to do what it says, the Bible says. And, And it teaches us this in Luke 10, which we'll look at in a minute. Listen, the Bible tells us that we're not to be conformed to the culture of what? This world. But rather we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind that we might be a reflection of the culture of the kingdom of God. It's what the Good Samaritan did. His life was transformed 
And it was the opposite of what, it, what we see in the rest of this, this parable. The, the, the good Samaritan, the Agathos Samaritan, was a reflection of the kingdom of God and the culture of the kingdom of God. Not a reflection of the kingdom of this world or the culture of this world, rather. And so what God is, is teaching us through this is that when we go out into this crooked and perverse generation, when we go out into this world, church, we are to be a reflection of the culture of God's kingdom and not a reflection of the, king, the culture of this world. And so in Luke 10, 25, it says this. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law... An individual, this is what it meant, kind of like an attorney, okay? One individual who was an expert in the law, an individual who knew the law, an individual that studied the law, meaning the word of God, okay? He, he knew the law, he, he studied the law, he memorized the law, he even taught the law. The Bible says on one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. And I pause to, to focus on this. Here, here is the man that, 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 that reveals the, the condition of the soil of his soul. He stood up to test Jesus. He stood up among the crowd to, pro, to, to, to prove himself wiser than the only wise God. Doesn't sound like wisdom to me. But the Bible says he stood up to test Jesus. He stood up to test, to, to prove himself wiser than the only wise God. He stood up to outsmart the omniscient one, the one that knows all things. Here, here's a human man, an expert of the law. He stood up to test the omniscient one, like he was going to beat him and defeat him in some kind of debate, church. He stood up to upstage the word made flesh, the Bible says. He stood up to exalt himself above the crowd so he could be seen. And he, he stood up to, to exalt himself above Christ as well. Study it and you'll find out this is what was going on in the man's heart. He stood up to exalt himself above everybody else. And he, he stood up to exalt himself above Jesus Christ. He, he stood up to test him, the Bible says. And I cringe to think, how often do we do the same exact thing? How often do we stand up to test the Lord? How often do we stand up and, 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 and think that, that our ways are, are better than his ways, that, that our thoughts are higher than his thoughts, church? How often do we stand up in and, 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 and arrogance and in pride and think that my plan's better than his plan and, and my desires are, are better than his desires and my will is, is better than his will? Forgetting that the word of God says that his ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. As high as the heaven is above from the earth, there are his thoughts and his ways higher than mine. But this man stood up thinking his thoughts were higher than the son of the living God. And how often do we do the same exact thing? We hear the word of God and read the word of God and it gives us direction and it gives us instruction and yet we stand up to test it. We stand up thinking we know better than God does, than the omniscient one does, than, than the word made flesh does, that the king of king does. And we should cringe every time we think about those moments that we have stood up when we should have bowed down. 
This man had an opportunity to bow at the feet of the king of kings, bow at the, at, at, at the master, bow at the, the feet of the greatest teacher that ever walked the earth. He had the opportunity to learn from him, but he stood up to test Jesus instead. He rose up in arrogance instead of humbling himself and and learning from from the master church. And it's what we should do every single day. We should be willing to bow before him instead of standing up in arrogance in front of him. Testing him and trying him, church. We should bow before him. Amen? It's what the expert in the law did. He stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus asked. What do you think it says? To which the man answered, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this. If you don't have that underline, underline it. Do this. Because the whole passage in Scripture hinges on those two words. Do this and you will live. Do this and you will live, church. Not listen only, but do this and you will live. Jesus didn't say, listen to this and you will live. Hear what I say and you will live. He said, do this and you will live. Love the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do this, and you will live. Don't just hear it. Don't just talk about it. Don't just say amen to it. Don't just say hallelujah to it. Don't just say preach it, pastor. He said, do it, and you will live. I don't think you can find any clearer message in this whole passage than those two words. Do it. And you will live. But why do we have such a hard time doing it? You know? Why do we have such a hard time doing it? Because it goes against our pride. Because it goes against our will and our human nature, our carnal nature. But Jesus said, do this and you will live. Don't just listen to it, church. Because how many of you know God blesses what we do, not just know? Please grasp this. God blesses what we do, not just what we know. He blesses the offering you actually give. Amen? He doesn't bless you because you think about giving. He blesses you when you give. He blesses what we do. Because to him who knows what is right and doesn't do it, James says... To him it's sin. To him who knows intellectually, like this expert in the law, he knew what was good. He knew what was right. But it says, to him who knows what is right and doesn't do it, to him it's a sin, James said. Actually, the, the the original passage or original text, it says, to him who knows the good, the good, the agathos that they ought to do and don't do it, it's sinful for them. In other words, listen, the reality is it is sinful for us to hear the word of God and not do it. That's what the word says, not me. I'm telling you what the word says. The word says, James said, that it is sinful for you and me to hear the word and not do it. 
to come to church on Sunday, hear the message, hear the word of God, and don't do anything about it. He's saying that's sinful. Uh, For me to open up the word of God and read it uh, from front to back and and not do anything with it, he's saying that's sinful. For for him to speak revelation into my life and truth into my life and and outline into my life and, and lifestyle into my life, for him to do all of that and me not do it, He's saying, for me, that's sinful, church. Because to him who knows mentally, that's why I'm saying, knowledge makes you haughty. Doing makes you holy in the eyes of God. He blesses the service you actually render. He doesn't bless the individual who says, well, I I, I think I might serve. I think I might get involved in some some service ministry of the church. He He doesn't bless that thought. He blesses the deed. He blesses the service you actually render. He blesses the kindness you actually bestow. He blesses the sacrifice you actually make, the love that you actually spread, the deed you actually do. Listen, this was one of the first things that popped into my mind. You might might find it funny, but I know that if you got kids, you agree with me. I, I don't know about you, but I bless my kids for the things they do, not for what they say they're gonna do. I bless my kids for the things they actually do, not for the things they say they're going to do. If they, I don't bless them because they say I'll take out the trash. I bless them when they take out the trash. I don't bless them when they say, well, I'll clean my room. I bless them when they clean the room. I don't bless them when they say, well, well I'll wash the dishes and I'll, and I'll clear the table. I don't bless them when they say they're going to do it. I bless them when they do it, church. You understand what I'm saying? I don't bless my kids for cleaning their room until they clean it. I don't bless my kids for clearing the table or doing the dishes until they actually do it. I don't bless them because they said, I heard you, Dad. How many of you got kids? I heard you, Dad. I heard you, Mom. I don't bless my kids because they heard me. I bless them when they do what they heard. And that principle is exactly the same when it comes to the culture of the kingdom. God doesn't bless his children just for hearing. He blesses their obedience. He blesses when they do what they hear. This is what we have to understand. Jesus said, do this and you will live. Amen? But the man wanted to justify himself. Scripture goes on to say in verse 29. He wanted to justify the fact that he wasn't living up to what he knew. He, he, he wanted to justify the fact that he wasn't living up to what he had heard and what he had memorized and what he could quote at the drop of a hat. He, he asked him uh, to, to quote some of, uh, some of the scripture and he could quote it at the drop of the hat. But the Bible tells us he was trying to justify his lack of doing. He was trying to justify the fact that he was a man of knowledge but not a man of doing, church. It's, he was caught. For being a hearer only, but not a doer, church. He wasn't a doer, but a hearer only. And trying to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Again, this is all leading up to the parable that he hasn't even told yet. And and it's why I said, I'm going to spend a lot of time around the parable so you get an understanding how the parable applies to us. And he says, trying to justify himself, He asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is it that I am supposed to love like myself? 
Who is it that I'm supposed to love with all of my heart? Who is it that I'm supposed to humble myself for and, and help in their time of need? Who is my neighbor, he asked. And, and, and if you study this passage of Scripture, you'll notice that the first thing the man did was try to narrow his realm of responsibility. He was trying to find out the least that he could do to be saved. He wasn't trying to find out the most that he could do to be saved. He was trying to find out the least that he could do to be saved. What's the least I can do to be blessed? What's the least I can do to be rewarded? What's the least that I can do to get that bonus at work? What's the, the least that I can do to, to get that raise and to get that promotion and to, to get that advancement? What's the, the least that I can do uh, to, to receive that blessing? What's the least that I can do to receive a, a kingdom reward? Ward. What's the least that I can do to get to heaven? And listen, I'm telling you, we are living in a culture that's exactly like that today. What's the least that I can do to get into a big and fancy house? What's the least I can do to, to, to get the corner office? What's the least that I can do to get a big fat paycheck? What's the least that I can do to have on some fancy clothes? What's, what's the least that I can do to have a, a, a Rolex on my, on my wrist? What's the least that I can do to, to, be, to, to have my name up in life? the least I can do. And the sad reality is the Bible's teaching us that that mentality, the culture of the world crept into the, the church and it crept into the Christians' lives as well. Man tried to narrow his realm of responsibility. He asked, how far does my love have to go? How far must it extend for me to be saved? And he asked that for a reason, church. Because he was a Jewish expert of the law who despised those on the other side of the track. Read the passage and study it yourself. He was a Jewish leader who looked down on those who were not like himself. He was an elitist, you would call him. He was a bigot. He was a snob. So who is my neighbor and how far does my love have to reach for me to have life, he asked. And I pause to ask, how far did the Father's love reach? How far did the Father's love extend? How far did the love of Christ have to reach? How far did the, the love of Christ reach? And, and the answer is to the entire world, amen? That's how far the love of God reached. That's how far the love of Christ reached. It reached to the, the entire world. It, it didn't reach to the individual that just lived on the left and, and the right or, or across the street. The, the love of God reached uh, the entire world, and so did the love of Christ, church. It reached as far as you and me. The love of God and the love of Christ reached into the highways and the byways and the backwoods and, uh, of life. It reached into the, the dark places of life and the, the desperate places of life. It, it reached into the, the messy places of the world in which we live. It, 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 it reached into the, the pig pens and the hell holes of the, the society and the, the crooked and perverse generation that we live in, church. It, it reached across the miles and it, and it reached across the ages the Bible says. That's how far the love of God extended. It reached to every generation and to every tribe and to every nation. It, it reached around the world and through the nations, the Bible teaches, for God so loved the world 
the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And we find two things in this message. One, how far God's love reached to the entire world. It reached from generation to generation to generation. And it will continue to reach our, our children and our children's children until the Lord comes back. That's how far it reached and that's how far our love is supposed to reach as well. But the love of God reached the entire world and each individual. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to, so that whosoever, it's broad yet personal at the same time. Whosoever, whatever individual receives and believes, they will be saved, church. That's how far it reached. For God so loved the world. And guess what? So should we. We should love the world. We should love the people in the low places of life. We should love the people in the pig pens of life. We should love the people in the messes of life and in the dark places of life and the messed up places of life. We should, we should love the people that find themselves in places and prisons of pain and, and addiction and suffering. We should love the people, no matter what their color is, no matter what their socioeconomic status is, no matter what side of the tracks they live on church. We, we should love the world just like God did and just like Christ did. But this expert in the law, he wanted to know, how little can I love and still be saved? How little do I have to do? How, how, how narrow can, can I make my responsibilities? Listen, if you want to be a reflection of Jesus Christ, you got to love like Jesus Christ. If you want to be a reflection of the culture of the kingdom of God, you've got to love like the culture of the kingdom of God. And the elitist here didn't do that. The expert in the law didn't do that, church. In all reality, the expert in the law wanted to know who he didn't have to love. He wanted to know who he didn't have to serve, who he didn't have to help. He wanted to know whose need he could overlook, church, and whose existence he could ignore. Study it and read it. And the world is filled with individuals who are just like that. And the sad reality is sometimes that, that worldly mentality and attitude makes its way into the family of God. Who do I really have to love? Who do I really have to serve? You know, when we try to narrow our realm of responsibility, we, need to na- we, we try to narrow who we, who we have to reach out to, and we, we try to create this little comfortable world in which we can live. But that's not the culture of, of God's kingdom, church. We have to, God so loved the world, and so should we. God so loved the world and so should we. Like I said, this, this man was an elite Jew who wasn't about to serve anyone outside of his circle of supremacy. He, had, he built a world, a, a little circle of supremacy that he lived in. And he didn't want to love anyone outside of that. Didn't want to serve anyone outside of that. Didn't want to have to bend down and bow down or, or, or help anyone outside of that little circle of supremacy that he built. If it wasn't good for him, if it didn't help him, if it didn't build him up, if it didn't make him better. Didn't want anything to do with that church. And Jesus was trying to teach him a lesson. This man, remember, stood up to test the son of the living God. The word made flesh instead of bowing before him, like I said. But how many of you know the man that he was testing Jesus, church, even though he came in the form of God, 
He didn't count equality with God, something to be grasped, the Bible says, but he emptied himself. He made himself nothing, and he took on the form of man. He became flesh like you and me. He became a servant to us all, church. Jesus humbled himself, and he loved his neighbor as himself. He actually considered his neighbor more important than himself. And that's what the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan and the Agathos Samaritan teaches us. And I'll wrap up in just a couple minutes with the actual heart of, of what that, that, that parable is all about. The Good Samaritan loved his neighbor, considered his neighbor more important than himself. The expert of the law had no intention of doing the same, not even with Jesus, church. It's why he stood up instead of bowing down. So when he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? He really wanted to know who he didn't have to give up his seat for, who he didn't have to hug and pray for, who he didn't have to reach out to, whose burden he didn't have to bear. And the first thing he tried to do, like I said, was limit his personal realm of responsibility. And who is my neighbor? And that's what that passage or that question means. He was trying to limit his personal responsibility. And this is when Jesus tells the story, and this is where I start to wind it down. He said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man who had fallen among thieves, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, the one who assisted the priest in the temple duties, when he came to the place and saw the man also, passed by on the other side as well. But a Samaritan who was hated and despised by the Jews because of his mixed Jewish and Gentile ancestry, as he traveled and came upon where the man was, and when he saw the man who was fallen, he took pity on him and was kind to him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you might have. And that's the, the parable in a nutshell. But if you go back to verse 30, you'll discover that the headline of the news story didn't seem to surprise Jesus. It was just plain matter of fact. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. That was the headline to the parable. And that headline didn't seem to startle Jesus. It didn't seem to, to take Jesus by surprise. The brutality of verse 30 doesn't surprise Jesus. The, the report of a man beaten by robbers and, and left for dead didn't surprise Jesus because it all reflected the culture of the world in which they lived. Jesus told this story because it was a reflection of the culture in which they lived, church. It, it was a, a culture that was ruled by sin and a, a culture that was ruled by Satan. It reflected the culture of a decaying world then and even now. How many of you know the culture today is exactly the same? 
The truth is, verse 30 demonstrates the behavior of a sin-infested world then and today. It's violent and it's uncaring. It's unloving and it's unkind. It's selfish and it's cruel and it's saturated by sin. The truth is, Jesus expects this behavior from the world in which we live because it's ruled by Satan. Listen, the fact that a man was robbed and beaten and left half dead didn't take Jesus by surprise because that's the culture of the world in which they live, the culture of the kingdom in which they live, church. But from the believer, from the so-called saint, from the household of faith, from the sons and daughters of God, from the church of the living God, from the priest and from the Levite, Jesus expects better behavior. He expects good. He, he didn't expect good to come from the robbers. He expected good to come from the priest. And he expected good to come from the Levite. He actually expected good to come from this, this expert in the law who knew all of the, the, the law. He knew what was good and he knew what was right. But he wasn't doing it. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have told this parable. And he likened this expert of the law to the, Pharise- or to the, to the priest and to the Levite who knew what was good but just didn't do it. And then he, he contrasted them to the good Samaritan, the Agathos Samaritan, and he was telling all of us, every reader, every listener, that this is what we should be. That we should be the good Samaritan, the Agathos Samaritan, who doesn't just hear the word and know the word, hear what's good and know what's good. We do it. We put it into practice, church. For those who are spiritual, God expects them to restore the fallen in a spirit of gentleness, just like the Agathos Samaritan did. Listen, the priest was the spiritual one. The priests whose position obliged him to be gracious, obliged him to be compassionate, obliged him to be merciful, walked right on by. He walked right by one of his own. He walked by his neighbor. He walked by a fellow Jew. And and the Levite did the same exact thing. Instead of restoring the fallen one in a spirit of, of, of gentleness and kindness, he walked right on by, church. And here's what you want. I want you to understand. The priest, after he passed on by, After he ignored the fallen brother or sister or the neighbor, he went on to offer up prayers in the temple while his neighbor was dying in a ditch. He went and sprinkled blood on the the altar of sacrifice while his neighbor was bleeding to death on the side of a road. He did not fulfill his, his obliged duties he was more concerned about himself than he was about his neighbor. He, he loved himself more than he loved his neighbor, church. The priest went on to perform his spiritual duties while his brother was dying in a ditch. The one who should have exercised the gracious duties of his office failed to love his neighbor as himself. He failed to consider the fallen one more important than himself. But as I close, thank God the story didn't end there. Amen? Amen. The story didn't end with the priest. The story didn't end with the Levite. The story ended with a good Samaritan. 
with an, a, an agos Samaritan, with an individual who was fertile within the soil of his soul. The story ends with a man who was a reflection of the kingdom of God instead of the, the, the kingdom of this world. The culture of the kingdom of God instead of the, the culture of the kingdom of this earth. The saddest part of the story is that the priest and the Levite who were spiritual looked more like the world than they looked like the kingdom of God. And they passed on by just like everybody else did until the good Samaritan came by church. The, 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 the Agathos Samaritan came by and changed the story. The Agathos Samaritan came by and changed the ending. And that's where I end with this message because the reality is that's our role and responsibility as well. You see, what God has called us to do as sons and daughters of God, as children of God, as the family of God, is to change the story in someone else's life. And to help bring a better ending than the one that we read about here. He, he wants those that, that call themselves Christians to bear much fruit and fruit that will last. He wants those who call themselves Christians and sons and daughters of God to love their neighbor like they love themselves. And, and the reality is I decided to bring this because I, I wanted to leave you with a, a summer challenge because we're not going to have the opportunity to be together on Wednesdays like we typically do. But it's the summer challenge that I want to leave for us all to be an Agathos Samaritan. To be an Agathos Christian. To love our neighbor as ourselves. To take what we've learned tonight and to spend the summer loving our neighbor to spend the summer loving on those that we work with, those that we come in contact with. See, the reality is our neighbor is not the one that lives beside of us. Like we read in this story, our neighbor is whoever comes across our path and whoever's path we cross as well. You see, so often we wait, we wait for people to come across our path. Well, you know, the Lord wants us to be aware of everyone whose path we cross over as well. And listen, this summer you're going to cross a lot of paths. A lot of people are going to come into your life, through your life, and, and be around your life. And what God is calling us to is to love them like we love ourselves. To be a reflection of the kingdom because we consider that poor person more important than ourselves. And look, sometimes that's hard. He wants us to love our jerky boss more than we love ourselves. But the Word of God saying that. The co-worker that just gets on our every last nerve. He wants us to consider them more important than ourselves, Because he wants to change their story. And he wants to change the end of the story as well. He, he, he doesn't want those individuals to be left lying in a ditch. He wants us to be the one that changes the story. He wants us to be the one that, listen, these three things, and this is what I am. He wants us to be the one that stops, stoops, and serves. That's what the Samaritan did. If you can't stop for someone, you're not a reflection of the kingdom of God. If you can't stoop for someone, you're not a reflection of the kingdom of God. And if I can't serve someone, I'm not a reflection of the kingdom of God. The good Samaritan did all of that, and Jesus did all of that. He stopped for everyone that came his way. He stooped for those that he needed to stoop. He humbled himself, the Bible says. He made himself nothing for you and me. He stopped, he stooped, and he served. 
And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit is calling us to do. So if you're here tonight and you say, God, Holy Spirit, I can do a better job of loving my neighbor as myself. If you're here tonight and you say, I can do a better job of stopping, stooping, and serving, I want you to stand to your feet with me. I'm the first one standing here and saying, God, I can do a better job of stopping. So often my life is so rushed, I'm, uh, my life is so filled with my own responsibilities and obligations, I don't take the time to stop and help those that are around me. I, 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 I'm too proud and I don't, I don't, I don't stoop, I don't, I don't humble myself. And I, and I don't have a good enough heart to serve. He, he wants us to stop, to stoop, and to serve. And when we do, listen, we will be blessed. When we do, we will be a reflection of the kingdom. And that's what he releases his, war, his rewards to. And it's what he pours out his blessings into. Amen? So here's all we're going to do. Tonight, God, I'm just offering myself to you. Teach me to stop. Teach me to stoop. And teach me to serve those around me. Help me to love my neighbor like myself. Amen? So, Father God, I thank you for the word this evening. I thank you for the truth and the revelation. I thank you for giving me everything that I asked you for. The strength, the anointing, the truth, the revelation, the power, Lord God, the energy to get through this. And, and now here's what I pray, God. I pray above everything else that tonight you would do a divine work that makes us doers of your word and not hearers only. God, that when we leave here tonight, that this word would be the foundation of, of all of our doings all through the summer. God, that every place you take us and every place our, our feet might walk and every individual that we come in contact with, everybody that comes across our path and whose path we come across as well, God, that we would love them like we love ourselves. God, that we would be a reflection of the culture of the kingdom of God, that we wouldn't be like the priest and we wouldn't be like the Levite, God, so caught up in the rituals and, and all of the other spiritual things, but, but don't have time to love our neighbor like ourselves, God. I pray that you would help us to not be like the expert of the law who challenges you and tests you and, 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 and tries to exalt ourselves above your wisdom and your knowledge and, and your plan and ways for our life. Help us to be humble, God. Help us to stop in the midst of the rush and the hecticness and the busy schedules that we all have. Help us to stop first and take time with you. But then help us to stop and be attentive to the needs of those around us, God. And then when we find that need, God, help us to, to be humble. Help us to be willing to stoop, Father God, to, to bend our hearts and, and, and even bend a knee, Father God, to be able to serve those that we come in contact with. Help us to be able to change the story of the lives that are around us, God. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, not just from us, but from the lives around us, God. And we have the opportunity to be an Agathos Samaritan. We have an opportunity, God, every time we come across the path of an individual that's fallen or hurting or in need, Father, suffering heartache or, or struggles or sorrows, God, we have an opportunity to change the story and the ending of their life, God. Help us to make the most of every one of those opportunities all summer long and all life long, God. Help us to love our neighbor like ourself. Let us, let us not rush by the opportunities. Help us to be doers of your word and not hearers only. I pray that you would seal this word. I pray that you would bind it, Father God, in our hearts. Help us to hide this word in our hearts that we wouldn't sin against you, God, because to, 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 to him who knows what is right and doesn't do it to them, it's sinful, God. Let us, not, let us not be sinful. 
Let us do what you've asked us to do, God. Called us to do and taught us to do. Empower us by your Holy Spirit to do the things you've taught us, God. Go with us as we leave. Be a hedge about us. Camp round about us, God. Keep us safe. Keep us strong. Prosper us, God, in body, mind, and in spirit. Help us to love one another like you love us. We give you the praise. We give you the glory. And everyone said, amen. Can we bless the Lord tonight, church? Amen. Love on one another before you go. We look forward to seeing you on Sunday. And next week is our first Wednesday. We're going to have a grand celebration down here. Bring a friend. Bring a guest. We'll celebrate first Wednesday together. Amen.